Hi, my name is Elizabeth Agabi. I'm the founder of Four Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial and career-driven women. I'm on a mission to speak to like-minded businesswomen to get the inside story on their secret to success. And you're listening to our podcast, How I Made It Happen. On the show today, we have Chloe Adelia Watts. She founded in 2014 Chloe Digital, a technology startup which supports bloggers and publishers with strategy, technology development and growth. She currently has over 300 clients worldwide on a monthly subscription basis and a remote team of 14 people. Chloe grew up loving fashion and she loved magazines like Teen Vogue, Elle and Grazia, as well as technical magazines. She saw no reason why she couldn't be feminine and also love the tech world. Her biggest motivation in running Chloe Digital is having the opportunity to empower business owners with technology in order for them to run their business and grow. In this podcast episode, we discuss managing teens remotely, the future for tech and influencers, and lastly, the power of building communities. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Here is Chloe Adelia Watts. So as a child, I was always interested in technology. I mean, I'm thinking as way back as, you know, low teens or like, you know, adolescent. I always loved tech. Back in the day, we used to, you know, no one always had like an iPhone or like an Android or whatnot. We always had different phones and I was obsessed with the latest phones, the latest gadgets. I always wanted to have my own laptop, even though I couldn't afford it. Like anything technical, I was really into it. And I used to have that bond with my dad where we'd both be into technical things and we'd discuss gadgets and their specifications and and whatnot. Um, But it was so natural for me. I never thought a career would come out of being interested in tech because at the time that wasn't really something people would speak about. Um, There wasn't that much kind of news or we didn't have YouTube. So there wasn't that much knowledge around it. So that was just a passion um, that I thought I would just have that passion. It wouldn't be connected to a career in in any way. So um, when I was a teenager, I started to learn how to code. And this was all very accidentally. It was around the MySpace time where you coded to make a cute profile. And I just really fell in love with it. I I loved the fact that I could write something and then I could turn it into something beautiful and creative. Um, And I was always confused that people used to say to me, oh, being like technical is like um, not creative. And I used to think, yes, it is, because I can just write that I want the color to be red and then I can see it become red. So to me, that was creative. Yeah. Um, So I just, yeah, I fell in love with it. And to this day, I, I know how lucky that is because this is now like 16 years old and most people don't really find what they're passionate about at such a young age. But I just was so in love, didn't know how... It could be a career, but I just knew I wanted to progress and learn as much as I could. Um, and, and every other subject, like at school, I was never really interested in it. You know, my teachers used to say, I'm talking too much, I'm coasting. I just wasn't that academic. You know, I found English very difficult. Math was my favourite subject, which kind of goes hand in hand with coding. Um, but I, you know, my art teacher said I wasn't very good. And so I just had this one thing that I was good at that I just kind of held on to, even though I wasn't being um, taught in schools, but I was actually teaching myself at home on the computer. Um, So 
as time went on and it was time to go to university, it was kind of just a standard, like you just go to university. I think now they talk more about, oh, you don't have to go to university. But when I was younger, it was like you have to go to university, especially if your parents hadn't been. It was like the necessary next step. So when I was looking into it, I researched what courses I could go into. I didn't see anything to do with coding. I just saw things to do with media, media production. So that had something to do with like TV and the computer. And I thought, okay, this sounds like something I would most likely be interested in. So I went off to university to study uh, TV production and radio. Just wasn't even interested in it. I don't know why I did that. Um, and then when I got there, I found out that there was a course that was called New Media, but in in their way, it was about coding. So you could actually learn to code a website, and your dissertation would be a website. Um, and when I found out, I, it just it was game changing to me. I remember calling my parents saying, "I could code like at school. Like this is insane." Yeah. Um, so, so had you not heard about? coding in the professional sense not even because I was going on websites but I didn't think about who actually built those websites I didn't think you could potentially have a job you could do computer science anything like that and that's why like the knowledge is power because there was no one around me that ever told me that wasn't that was a thing none of my teachers they all used to speak about getting a job so you can work higher up in the bank or like you know they would never think of anything in in that sense so I I had no idea I couldn't google it yeah I couldn't do anything I came across coding when I was in my teens as well, mm-hmm. and I built a website. Funny enough, it was through um, I think there was something called the Google Website Builder, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like that. And so I built my first website for me and my friends. We were in a group, but yeah. same as you, had no clue that this could be a professional career. Yeah, so um, it was never really an option for me. And I do a bit of like website stuff now, yeah. but. Um, yeah had no clue about it being a professional career when I was in my teens it was just something that I came across on the internet no you're right we just happened to come across and we were just always on the computer because we had MSN messenger you'd go home and talk to your friends so you was on the computer and it was just yeah by chance we found out that this this is something that we could do um so yeah at university I was like coding but the course wasn't amazing I had taught myself um more than what my course was actually teaching me so it was quite easy for me to go through it but I still enjoyed it. I still love being able to go into a classroom and um and do something that I was so passionate about and then when I left university I knew I always wanted to start my own business and I think that's not as rare now. I think now we've got a very entrepreneurial culture. Um, but I always wanted to start my own business because my parents used to speak to me a lot about that when I was a child, about financial freedom and being able to create something. And if you know there's a gap in the market, you should fill it and stuff like that. But I used to think, I don't know what gap I'm going to fill. And um, who are your parents business owners? So... They were business owners, but they're not even business owners now. They just used to really just drum that into us so much. Um, yeah. My mum's actually retired now. So... I went to work in industry for a while. I thought I could just get a couple of jobs coding and learn how agencies work to to think that I could potentially start my own agency because that's the only thing I could kind of think of that was connected to coded. Someone wanted a website and then me coding it for them. Um, Nothing to do with a team or anything like that. I just thought I would find a designer and then I would code it and that would be as far as it would go. Um, And at that same time, so this is now about 10 years ago, the blogging scene started to come up. So in especially in London, there was more like blogging events, how to be a blogger, intro to blogging. Um, and what year was that? This was around, so this is 10 years ago. This was like 2009. Yeah. yeah. That was um, when I started blogging. <laughs> yeah. So it was that type of era. And I feel like we were doing it here and also it was being done in America, but I didn't know at the time. 
Um, so I'd go to events and I just started to make friends who were fashion bloggers. Like you, you were just a fashion blogger, nothing else. It was just fashion um, and taking like the outfit photos and whatnot. And when I'd go and we'd like network and the girls would ask me, oh, so like what's your blog called? And I say, oh, I'm not a blogger. I'm actually a web developer. Um, and they'd get super excited because they wanted to change their website or they had a bug that they couldn't fix, but they didn't know anybody who could help them. So I started organically just helping my friends with their websites, not being paid for anything like that. I just just loved it so much. I just would help them and make them understand in a, in a way that made sense to them why things were working and why they weren't. Yeah. Um, and then over time, I realized that that was kind of like my sweet spot, that gap. Um that could be filled. And it wouldn't have been something that I could have started 10 years prior because the industry didn't even exist, Yeah, which is the most beautiful thing because as I grow up and as the girls grow up and as our industry grows up, there's so many possibilities within it now that, that didn't yeah, exist. Definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. Nice. So um, how did Chloe Digital actually come about? So I used to use Chloe Digital as like a freelance name. So my name was Chloe and I liked digital things and that was it. My friend made me a logo. It was pink and cute. And I just used to use it on my invoices. But as a few years progressed, I found that I wasn't really a business owner because when I wanted to go on holiday or when I was sick, nothing happened. I couldn't do any work because it was all reliant on me to do everything. So I realized actually, although I'm thinking I'm balling shot calling I'm not really and also my you know my bank account would vary month to month depending on if I could get a project or if I couldn't um so it was actually kind of overnight I had an idea to turn the help that I was doing for my friends and clients in terms of like support on their website into a subscription slash membership where they could pay per month to get unlimited support for their site. So almost like insurance for your blog. Um, That's how we kind of would pitch it at the time. Um, And it was amazing. Like it was really low cost. It was $99 and people just wanted to sign up knowing that they had someone that they could just email a support team and then get somebody to fix their website for them. Yeah, that's pretty much how it started. Amazing. And why did you decide to focus just on bloggers? Because that's quite niche. Yeah, well, I did a lot of research. Like I love reading business books and I did a lot of research on really finding your own niche and even better than that, your own micro niche, because that way you have less competitors and it'll be easier for you to get into the market. Yeah. So originally when I was first just under the freelance name of Chloe Digital, I was doing websites for salons, for PR companies, for anybody that I kind of thought was under the fashion, beauty, lifestyle space. And even when I used to say it, it used to be such a mouthful. It's like you can't even scale if you're trying to serve too many people. Mm-hmm. So then I went down to what, where was I really passionate and where I was, was helping these women build their businesses. Um, and that's the thing that I love the, the most, not fixing something on their website, but knowing that by me doing that fix could help them better their businesses. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so I'm guessing when you started out financially, it wasn't as steady as it is now. <laughs> so um, how did you prepare yourself financially or did you just kind of take the leap and say to yourself this will sort itself out yeah so I was so young so I feel like when you're young you just do anything and you don't think of any consequences because it's just fun um if I was to start now then I would be thinking okay I need this plan and if you're doing all these things like I never had a business plan to this day I've never had a business plan yes I've wrote down things that I 
would like to achieve and made plans around it but I've never had a large scale business plan yeah. that you learned that you needed to do that before you even started a business so the fortunate thing for me was that I obviously knew how to code so the the core product was tech support so in the beginning I just did all the tech support myself although I made out that it was kind of bigger than myself I was at home living with my parents on my mum's kitchen just doing the tech support and then I knew that once I got to a certain revenue then I'll be able to hire my first person so I just waited until I did that but because I had hardly any expenditures because I was living at home I could then give all of that money to the second person yeah. and continue doing like that until um, I could make a profit. And so was you paying yourself as well or you were just no. paying your first hire? Yeah. But I didn't even care about paying myself. I was so just, excited yeah, to have just someone get it off the yeah. ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. So now you currently have um, 15 people on your team mm -hmm. and they're currently spread all around the world. Yeah. So what I want to know is how you scaled up from a one woman team to um, 15 people. When did you decide that it was time to start bringing people on? Was it when you got more clients or was there like a particular strategy behind it? Yeah, I just did an equation of what the recurring revenue would be per month with a certain amount of clients. And every time I got to a certain amount, then I knew I could get the next hire. And it was very, very simple. So I was like, okay, well, now we're making $2,000 a month. So I speak in dollars because 95% of our clients are American and we yeah. launched in dollars. But now we're making 2,000, now we're making 5,000, now we're making 10,000. And at that point, if I wanted to maintain um, a certain margin, then I would be able to then hire my next person. And I tried to keep it as simple as that as possible. Yeah. Okay, that's quite smart. Mm -hmm. Quite a smart way to think about it. Because for some people, it's all... Oh, this is all getting overwhelming. And even though I can't afford to hire people, mm -hmm. I need to be able to get someone on to kind of help me balance the workload. But yeah. for you, it was, we have this much amount of money. It can spread over X, Y, Z amount of people. Yeah, definitely. I always try to do that. I didn't try to run before I could walk. And also as well, like customers are very forgiving. And I think sometimes, you know, as a business owner, you can get really in your head thinking you need to create something that you actually don't. And sometimes when you're, you know, if you're transparent with your customer, yeah. they're actually OK. Yeah. They just want somebody to let them know like what the deal is. And I was always very transparent to this day with the customer about how we're growing and, and, and where we're at as a company. And they were kind of, when I was starting, they were kind of starting their businesses. So they were very forgiving for us as we were forgiven for them. So as they've continued to grow their business, as we've grown ours, it's like such a nice dynamic mm. because we've all and kind a good of- a journey together as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So um, you currently have about 300 clients, right? Mm -hmm. Bloggers around the world. So how did you get from the one to 300? Was mm. it all word of mouth? Did you just- do adverts or were you pitching to bloggers as well? That's a good question. So <laughs> at the beginning, um, because I was freelancing before, I knew a few bloggers. So I really kept up an email list that I had, which is like the best asset that you can ever have, especially if you if you want to start a business and you don't know what the business is going to be about. If you kind of create an email list of, of potential customers, then when you do launch something, those will be the customers that will buy from you. So because I was kind of known as that tech geek girl next door, Chloe Digital, who um, could help bloggers with their sites, I started to kind of build a list of women um, and I'd send them out free tech tips so I could keep them engaged in my list, help them out ad hoc when they'd email me for free. Yeah. Um, and I also had built this WordPress plugin called The Feed, which... Yes, I came across that. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, was so game changer at the time because nobody had a mobile site. So what this plugin did was automatically gave you a... 
um, a mobile site which was shopping friendly. So I had a few hundred people using this plugin at the time um, when I did launch uh, the membership. So when it was time, I then sent out an email to everybody to say that, you know, I'm going to be launching this thing. Would you be interested in it? Um, and then I had 50 people do like a pre sign up, say they would be interested. Um, and then when I actually launched, I emailed those people again. And then I emailed everybody I knew, obviously. Yeah. And then on the first day I had somebody sign up and then the community is really small. So if you're getting help on your site and then your friend's sitting next to you and then she's got a problem, you're going to say, oh, I'm actually using this service. Why don't you give it a go? So word of mouth was very, very important. Still to this day, like word of mouth is like the key thing in marketing in general is so important. Um, and then I used to go out and meet meet people I used to send emails um I used to take a lot of trips to America and the great thing about going to America from England is if you send someone an email you say you know I'm coming from London um, yeah. I'm here for a week I'd love to meet you they always say yes they're like from London and like <laughs> yeah then it's like cool so then you just meet up with them they'll give you like half an hour of their time so then I'd, I use that as an opportunity to um yeah to pitch the service but because it was such a unique service at the time there was hardly anybody who didn't sign up because they knew they needed that help and they were just like, oh my goodness, thank goodness I found you. And then yeah. they just signed up. Yeah, and it can be so much of a headache to be managing the technical side of things exactly. while you're trying to be creative at the same time. Exactly. Taking pictures, writing content. Yeah, That's a lot too of stress. Much, yeah. <laughs> um, so have you had any challenges like running an online business? Because you've just said that 95% of your clients are mm -hmm. in the States. So how do you deal with communication and um, do you ever meet with your clients face to face? Yeah. So at the beginning, it was, I mean, I'd say it was hard, but to me, I was just so excited. This to me isn't even hard, but maybe to someone else it is. So I used to have like, like work through the night because, because they were in America, mostly in, in LA, which is eight hours behind us. Um, I couldn't just do a normal nine to five like here because they're just waking up at the time that we would finish the day. So I had to a lot of the time work in the night. So if they needed an email, there was a problem. I could reply because I never wanted the fact that I was in London to be a hindrance to why they would use the service and say, yeah. oh, actually, like you guys take too long to reply. I'm going to use an, an alternate service. So I used to um, work through the night and we have this SOS line when the clients can email when their site's actually down. It was an emergency. Yeah. And I used to like wake up through the night to check to see if there was an SOS. I just think oh I just never goodness. slept. I know. <laughs> And I was known for like the girl who didn't sleep, but I just was so nervous if they had an SOS and no one was going to reply to the email. But I don't do that anymore. <laughs> That's good to hear. So how do you currently manage those type of situations? So now our team, because we've got everybody's remote, we've got, we cover so many time zones. So pretty much 23 hours of the day, somebody is like online working. Okay. So that's that's not an issue anymore. But I did that on purpose to make sure we had all different time zones covered. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the popular things right now is subscriptions and membership community, something mm -hmm. that you kind of tapped into from a very long time ago. How come you decided to take that route instead of going the consultancy fee route? Um, like, for example, services like Fiverr and Upwork or mm -hmm. freelancer.com, you just find the person and then you fix your issue and then you pay them. Why did you decide to do subscription and the membership? Yeah, so the membership part for me was really important because beyond the tech support, 
that to me wasn't the actual product. What the actual product was being able to help these women propel their businesses forward. And the membership part is the community. And, you know, with women, we love community. We love to connect with other women. We love building each other up. So I wanted to create a community of women who could do that with each other. So not just us directly to them, but they could with each other as well. Um, So that allowed us to do loads of amazing things like feature them on social, do fantastic events where they can meet each other. And there's nothing more awesome than when they get to meet each other. They didn't know each other from like different countries and then they become friends and then you see them producing content together afterwards. So for me, that was always like the most important part because I, I felt that most of these women and still to this day are solopreneurs. And, you know, they're by themselves around people, usually family and friends who don't really understand what it is that they're doing. So we were always that kind of girlfriend who understood and could kind of give them a pat on the back when they were doing something right or give them the push when they needed it. And that's why I felt like the membership made sense. Yeah. So how has growth been for you over the years um, in terms of the way blogging and influencing is changing? So some people now they're not opening up blogs they're just using their Instagram page and just kind of posting content there hoping that through their Instagram they can become a blogger Um, and then also you have things like Squarespace now which is very user-friendly and so people can kind of start their own websites how has that in any way affected the growth of your business yeah so there have been a lot of people who were traditional bloggers and then kind of neglected the site and then moved over to Instagram and then you have people also who started off on Instagram or started off on YouTube and realized that they wanted to have a site so there has been loads and loads of changes in the industry but one of the things that remain the same is that you know when you're actually thinking of the longevity of your business you need a website as a foundation for it and we're here to kind of help you with that foundation so because that's always going to be a thing the website will always exist maybe not in the sense that people are blogging you know once a day as they were before maybe it goes to two times a week or once a month or what have you but having kind of a multifaceted site is always going to be important so what we found was people went for a period of you know investing in their website then not investing in their website thinking that Instagram was the future then when they amassed loads and loads of followers and all the algorithm changes and they started to Uh, their reach started to reduce they started to get worried um, and then go back to the website so that they can um, attract their audience and be able to you know connect with them and communicate with them in the way that they can't do anywhere else so it actually worked out quite well because the budgets increase people now will spend way more money on their website because they want it to be an ultimate destination for their community um, which is something that's really exciting because that's what we love to build for people you know it takes a long time but we love doing that um, and yeah, they went for a phase where, you know, everyone wanted a black and white site, like net a porte like they wanted to be super sleek, super simple. Um, and then everyone went for a stage where like, oh, I just want a theme. I don't want to spend money on it because I'm just doing my Instagram. And now they've come back to be like, actually, I want to invest in it. So it's kind of gone full circle. Um, and I was always preaching to anybody who would listen that the site is so important. And also to build your email list is really important because those are customers that you actually know, that like you know their name and you know their email address. You know more about them than you do on any social network. And I understand that different social networks have different engagements, which is amazing. Like I'm obsessed with YouTube. I'm always watching beauty tutorials. Like I get it and I understand its place. But as a business owner, you need to understand, okay, well, how can I, yes, diversify my content, but always have my base, which is mine and I can control. Yeah. And um, 
with blogging, I remember it used to kind of be looked down on. Um, mm. It was that, oh, I ran a blog. Oh, gosh. Like, you know, there was a bit of an eye roll that would come with yeah. you saying that. But loads of great businesses have come from them. So you've got like creative agencies and you have fashion bloggers who are now running their own fashion lines. And one of my best ones is Man Repeller. Mm-hmm. And I read an article that she was in recently. I think it was with Korea Mag. And um, she was just talking about the fact that, you know, she's self-funded. She's got 20 people on her team. And she's just really running a lifestyle blog. Mm-hmm. And um, it's attracting over 3 million people per month. And this is something that started just purely out of blogging. Do you feel that there's still space as a blogger to kind of achieve that kind of success? Because she's been in this game for about 10 years. And most of the people Mm -hmm. who have created these kind of businesses from blogging have been in there for 10 years. Do you feel that it's still possible to have this kind of success? Most definitely. It's just what does success look like for you? Because for Mm. her, that made sense. She wanted to build out this lifestyle publication type space where she had other writers and people connected with them and etc and that was what everybody thought was the end goal for blogging because it was so new whoever did something successful everybody thought oh that's the only way that I can do it and then the next person came up with their own collection like Chiara Fagani and it's like okay the end goal is I must come out with my own collection but really and truly you've amassed a market so if you've amassed a market you can sell anything to said market you can create your own app you can create your own physical digital products you can create your own i mean one of our clients is creating her own co-working space that like you can do anything that you want wow from so, blogging yeah from the community that she's created from nice. the site and from the content and from that content you know how people engage with your content it allows you to know more about them and therefore if you're smart you can think okay well what products and services can i create knowing these people in and out mm. so we're finally getting to a stage now where the women are thinking okay well actually because i know my woman so well i can create xyz and i know she'll be into it so now in terms of the traffic you know it isn't as easy to get to that amount of traffic now definitely not but that's yeah. actually not an issue you don't need to be nowhere near that amount of traffic to create a multi-million pound business from your blog yeah um so so sometimes I think it does put people off and they think, OK, well, Instagram is a you know a lower barrier to entry, so I should just do that. Um, but you could have, you know, 1% of that and still have a really successful business. Yeah, and I agree that um, you don't need to have loads of traffic in order to be getting loads of money now because a lot of people are turning to the subscription membership form. So there are people now, you know, in order to kind of see their close friend stories, you have to pay a subscription on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's crazy, but yeah. like people are making a yeah, ton of money finding just from the communities that they have been able to build. Mm-hmm. And they're not going the traditional way of blogging, like I was mentioning before. So some of them are just opening Instagram pages. So there's a particular page called Thing Testing. So she used to be um, a VC and she takes a picture of different startup products and she gives a review. And um, she just amassed, I think, about 15,000 followers in six months. And now she's got investment to build that up. And she charges people, I think, about 99 to $150 for the year mm-hmm. to be part of the close friends group on right. Instagram, where you get to ask the founder of the product that she's reviewed questions. And wow. um, her selling point is, is that, no one's giving you true, honest feedback about startup products. People are just constantly pushing or they're doing adverts. Mm-hmm. So 
to me, I just found that completely amazing. Yeah. You knew what your community wanted and you tapped into that and you've created this business and you've even become investment worthy. I think she just, yeah, she just recently raised some money. And so now she's going to scale it up to a website, as you mentioned, because everyone needs a website. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to then have contributors. So I think that point you made about having a community and knowing what they want and not needing loads of traffic to like scale up and make money is a really really good point so coming back to you Mm -hmm. um what lessons or mistakes have you learned that you could possibly share with the listeners i think one thing i've learned is not to take things personally um, and to separate myself from the business which took a really long time for me to learn long lesson to learn because you know it is my namesake and i put everything into it you know December 1st this year, the business, the membership will be running for five years. So oh, I was just thank you. I was just saying the other day, like, you know, I've given it seven days a week for five years. So it's, it's a lot. And it's yeah. then therefore it's very easy to take things personally because you've given it your all. Um, but I learned to really separate myself from it so that I understand how I can, you know, make it grow. And if things go wrong, I cannot take them personally. I can't take how people are with me personally, whether it's good, whether it's bad. I just can't. You know, it's almost like a persona that you have to have so that you can still be a sound person outside of your business. Because sometimes yeah. things do things do go wrong or people let you down or, you know, things happen and if you take it personally, you'll be crying yourself to sleep. But it's like yeah. you don't have time. Like you've got to get up and you've got to, got to work. Yeah. So um, that's something that I learned. So I don't really take things personally. And like I said, it was a big learning curve for me. But um, now I feel so amazing for it. Because if something happens, I'm like, oh, okay. And then I just work out how I'm going to solve it. Yeah. Mm. And in terms of all your workers being remote... How are you finding remote working and not working with a team and working very silo? And also, how are you managing the time? Because I know you said most of your clients are in um, the US Mm -hmm. and everyone else is more or less working in different time zones in your Mm -hmm. team. So I think as a team, we work very well together. I mean, we always communicate on Slack. We just live on Slack and we're always talking to each other and we have amazing project management tools. Um, I'm like a systems geek, like I like to have systems for everything. So we communicate through the different online tools that we have in order to get the work done. Um, And I think remote has worked out really well and it's nothing to say that, you know, in the future I might not have an office somewhere. Um, But for the time being, I think it's worked very, very well and it's enabled people, like I said, to be anywhere in the world that they want to work. Um, And as long as they're open in the communication, then that's the most important thing for me, like if I can get in touch with them. So we're going to go into the segment called Ask FWL, which is where we ask people in the community to send in their questions around business and building their careers. So today we have Nicola, who runs a social marketing business. I would love to know how you create balance. How do you balance all the different parts of being a business owner of your life? What's the best way for you to balance everything and focus your time? Um, For me, when starting a business, balance doesn't exist. I'm not a big fan of the word balance anyways. Um, Even like work-life balance because like they're connected. They're not two different things. 
Um, but when starting out, you there's no balance because you have to put everything in it for it to succeed. Like you've got to make sacrifices. Um, and the people that succeed are the people that make the sacrifices and don't make excuses for why they can't make something work. You know, I hear a lot of the time people just make excuses and they don't even realise it's it's actually an excuse until you say, have you tried to do it this way? And it's like, oh, no, I haven't. So you realise it was actually like an excuse and actually you could get it done. So balance, you know, that doesn't exist in the beginning. But as time goes on, so like I said, I'm five years in, you know, it's important for me to also grow my life. Like, you know, I'm 30 years old. Like I want to be, you know, hitting the gym. Like I want to be mingling with my friends. I want to be my family. Like I want to be having a good time. I don't want to be a slave to my business. And I did feel like I was like that at the beginning, which I said, you have to make that sacrifice. So as time goes on and you've kind of put those systems in place, you need to be able to understand that you've hired the right people or you should do so that you can take a little bit of a step back and trust that they're going to be able to to do the work um, that you're paying them to do um, and that they love doing as well so that was something for me I kind of learned to kind of give over to people and let them thrive um, which is the best thing because then they come up with amazing ideas as well and it's like oh my goodness it's fantastic and then you know you can have a bit of time to yourself yeah and I think with the whole concept of balance anyway you kind of need to start and then you find it along the way. Mm. It, it might take a few months, you know, because then you get into like the regular things. So you know what's working, what's not working. And then you can say, okay, this is how much time I need to dedicate to the business and how much time I have left for myself. So yeah, I completely Yeah, understand. definitely. And then when you do start to dedicate more time to yourself, it actually is better for the business because you're not running yourself down. You're not burning out. You're not mad stress and doing things reactive instead of proactively. Mm. And that's I did find I was getting to a point where I was being reactive all the time and not thinking for the future. So now that I do, you know, make a conscious effort to work on myself, whether that's uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, those things are super important to me. I feel like then when I do then step into the business and when I say that, I mean, open my laptop, I do feel then that I can then give it, give it my all and give it my best self. Yeah. Okay. So last question. Mm -hmm. What is the future for Chloe Digital? Are you planning on to expand in any way, offer new services? With tech constantly changing, I feel like there's so much that you could do. Definitely. So yeah, so starting out with tech support and then growing into strategy and helping um, grow the bloggers, we then grew it also into an agency side where we actually build the websites for them and build apps for them when they need, build e-commerce sites for them when they need. So as we realised that they were growing as businesswomen, we wanted to make sure that we had the services to help them as they continued on that journey. Um, but for me also, I'm I'm looking at what other products and services could we be bringing to the market in order to help them be better at their job. So that's always been my goal. Like, how can I help them build their digital empire by being behind the scenes and building the tech that they need in order to make a successful business? Um, so right now we're kind of playing around in the AI space. You know, how can we kind of help them with AI in order to better um, their working lives? Um, but there's many, many things on the table. As long as we know that's our goal, like what can we build? Because nobody's really building for them. There's general tools, um, but no one's really taken time to actually build tools for the influencer because they have very specific needs. Um, so that's where we, we lie and, you know, the nice. future's looking good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you if they want to reach you? Well, thank you for having me. And um, if you want to find Chloe Digital, you can find us on Instagram, Chloe Digital, or on our website, ChloeDigital.com. And for me, it's Chloe Adelia is my Instagram handle. Mm-hmm.
Well, that's it for this episode of How I Made It Happen. For more inspiring stories, visit our website, forworkingladies.com. Sign up to our newsletter and keep an eye out for our next event. Before you go, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and also leave a review as it helps in finding our podcast more easily. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.